Good afternoon and welcome to part two of our anti-Asian violence town hall. My name is Dr. James Sonov and I'm the assistant dean for student engagement. And I'm Joyce Moy, the executive director of the Asian American Asian Research Institute at CUNY. Um, before we get started, uh, I'd like to take a moment to thank all of the committee members and supporters who helped to make today's program possible. They worked really hard on this and was very, and were very thoughtful in putting this program together. Also, before we get started, let me just touch upon a few housekeeping items. We invite you to turn on your cameras so that it'll be easier to engage. Um, if you have a question, feel free to put it in the chat function or uh, wait until uh, a little later and you, you are given recognition. There's a slide with all our com committee members um, for you to uh, speak or ask the question verbally when you're prompted to do so. Please be respectful of others' opinions. And this town hall is being recorded and it will be used for educational purposes. So as we get started, I wanted to start off the conversation with a quick icebreaker. Please uh, share with us via the chat feature uh, your response to two of these, uh, these following two statements. What are the images, associations, or stereotypes that you have heard of Asian Americans? Or if you are of Asian descent, what are the expectations you or your family have of, for yourself? So for the first one, once again... What are the images, associations, or stereotypes that you have heard of Asian Americans? Or if you are of Asian descent, what are the expectations you or your family have of yourself? Please uh, either use the chat feature, you can raise your hand and share with the group as well. Okay, so here we go. Yes. Asians are good at math, take care of each other, good at math and science, hardworking. Asians are cold, technical, not warm, empathetic. Also, they don't challenge authority, being successful. Asians do well at school, honor over everything. Very family-oriented, very disciplined. Asian men are weak. Hard workers, family-oriented, difficult to read, subservient. Uh, Asian people only includes East Asian people, passive. It was expected by my parents to be practical when we first came. Sly. Thank you for sharing. Stereotypes that I've heard are excel at math, work together, are quiet, polite, are in nursing field. Very smart. I'm expected to graduate, I'm expected to be successful, have a family, be a nurse, etc. Friendly. They don't give up. Well, thank you. Thank you once again for sharing your, your thoughts. Uh, hopefully by the end of today's uh, discussion, some of these um, thoughts and ideas and, and, and stereotypes that you have uh, are no longer uh, part of your psyche or part of your thinking uh, based on the information that is going to be presented today. Thank you again. So a concept that many of you have may have or may not have heard um, that is contributing to anti-Asian hate and violence is the model minority myth. Joyce, please share with us what is this and provide a brief history. 
Sure, thanks. So just in the, the few seconds that uh, we covered regarding people's impressions of Asians, you heard a number of characteristics that you might view as being positive, hardworking, smart, uh, expected to graduate college and be successful and so on. But then you heard some negative comments like they are sly um, and and uh, things like they, they are subservient, that sort of thing. And so when you look at the model minority myth, this is something that actually started in the 1960s, the mid-1960s. And I'm of a different generation than almost everybody else that's on the panel today. Um, and the so this stereotype was highly publicized in a New York Times magazine article in 1966. And it talked about the Japanese who had been rounded up and interned during World War II. They were forced to sell all their property. They were forced to sell and close their businesses. And they persevered under very, very harsh conditions. Mind you, Germans and others, Italians, for example, who were also enemies of the United States in terms of their country were not treated in the same way. But this article that came out in 1966 talked about how successful uh, the Japanese Americans had been and how they, in fact, succeeded Japanese style. They attributed this to the fact that Asians, that, that the Japanese in particular were very hardworking. They were not like other minorities. Uh, the article talked about the fact that if you had been another minority and gone through the kinds of hardships they did, that they did, that they would be problem minorities. And and the, the language used in that article actually talked about that. So here was a group of Japanese Americans who had been mistreated by this country and they were being lauded for being successful. In other words, we can mistreat you and you'll still do fine. That's what I got out of that article. It's also interesting that this happened in 1966, just at the cusp of the civil rights movement. And so you can imagine people using something like this and saying, why can't you be like the Japanese Americans or these Asian Americans? Later on in 1987, by that time, I had been a faculty member and so on uh, at, at Queens College. And there was another article that was the front page of, I believe it was the Time, Time magazine. And it talked about education, the Asian whiz kids. And again, it talked about how these kids were hardworking. And that was one of the reasons that they succeeded. But along with those so-called positive comments about our people, were the sort of underhanded implications that, that came out. Um, they are autonom uh, automatons. They are um, emotionalists. Uh, emotionalist. The reason they're able to succeed is because they're robotic. And if you look at the stats, you'll see that Asians are least likely to be promoted into management, despite the fact that they're highly skilled and successful in, in certain sectors and so on. And so, again, there was this dehumanization that is just a continuation of what we had talked about in terms of what made it possible for there to be violence and scapegoating evasions. So that's just a, a tip of the iceberg. I think you'll hear quite a bit more uh, when Sigmund uh, gets into uh, his discussion uh, about the uh, the model minority.
Thank you, Joyce. Thank you for your insight. So as you said, uh, we have other faculty members who will be participating in the conversation. Next, we have Sumanth Anaconda from uh, Humanities, uh, who provided us with some insight on the model myth, uh, model minority myth, intersectionality, and community activism. Thank you. Uh, thank you. So the pandemic has, uh, you know, particularly has been particularly hard on uh, Asian American community. So, uh, for instance, in 2020, crimes against uh, Asian Americans in major U.S. cities skyrocketed by nearly 150 percent. In a way, uh, what the pandemic has done is it has magnified issues faced by Asian Americans. These issues include racism, anti-immigrant bias, misogyny, and of course, the model minority myth, right? So it is important to talk about these issues, particularly the model minority myth, uh, which which we are doing uh, today. So yeah, take a look at these uh, images, right? So model minority myth stereotypes Asians as uh, well-to-do, smart, hardworking, you know, rich people something that we spoke about in uh, in the icebreaker conversation so this is also seen in pop culture with titles such as crazy rich asians which features a lead character uh, who is a rich asian businessman in a cinderella type uh, love story and uh, yeah, uh, below is this popular character from uh, sitcom Big Bang Theory, Raj Kutrapali, who is uh, who is a maths and science whiz, which goes on to reinforce the idea that uh, Asians are uh, are good at maths and uh, science. So I will talk about two problems uh, with this kind of stereotyping or the model minority myth. First, framing of uh, East Asian. And, uh, and also South Asian immigrants as well <clears throat> as uh, role models for other minorities can often overlook the reality of diversity and poverty within Asians that, uh, that can be seen in, uh, in large cities like, uh, like New York. All right. So there's a lot of diversity. Not, not all Asians are, uh, are the same stereotype model minorities. The other the stereotype also increases vulnerability of Asians to crimes and uh, resentment, including from people belonging to other minorities. Okay, so I will share some examples to sort of elaborate uh, this point. Uh, yeah, we can move on to the next slide. <clears throat> Yeah. So this, uh, you know, these are, uh, you know, as I said, there are uh, there are a couple of things that I want to uh, focus on. You know, how model minority myth overlooks uh, the reality of diversity and poverty, and the other is how this uh, stereotyping increases vulnerability of Asians to resentment. Okay. So uh, James, I'm I'm done with my slides. So you can take the slides off. So I will share some examples to sort of elaborate uh, the points that I'm making. <clears throat> One is about uh, this guy, Amanze Eminik, 
he's an African American and he was charged for robbing Chinese students in downtown uh, San Francisco. In a frank blog post, he states his motivations behind robbing uh, Asian Americans. So I quote, uh, the reason Asian kids are getting robbed because there is an assumption that young Chinese are filthy rich, have an iPad or laptop on them. To a young, broke black male, the prospect of nabbing a few hundred dollars from some Asian kids' pockets is even greater during, uh, during this recession. End of quote. <clears throat> so this guy was initially charged uh, also for uh, for a hate crime. Later, those charges were dropped because that is not you know, what he was doing. So, you know, in a way, stereotyping of Asians as model minorities, rich and smart, can expose them to robberies, to bullying and uh, and other crimes. So another uh, interesting piece of information uh, comes from a longitudinal study looking at hate crimes uh, that took place between 1992 and 2014 uh, that found Asian Americans have much higher chance of being victimized by other minorities. The study reported 25% of the offenders in anti-Asian hate crimes were non-white. Now, this is, you know, sort of striking because while just 1% of the offenders in anti-African-American hate crimes were non-white. So, you know, that begs the question, what's going on? You know, some of it is uh, is the model minority myth. Some of it uh, that we have learned through the previous example. Uh, so <clears throat> according to U.S. Commission on uh, Civil Rights, um, <clears throat> many Asian immigrants operate small retail stores or restaurants in economically depressed, predominantly minority neighborhoods. We see this in uh, in New York cities. There are uh, uh, poor, diverse communities, and then there is more uh, competition as Asians uh, move in. So, uh, so what happens is this builds resentment among other communities that have been living in the same area who perceive Asians as encroaching on their uh, means of livelihood. So it is uh, of utmost importance to sort of build trust in these communities through outreach. So, uh, so we are able to create an understanding among communities. So, uh, you know, so people do not see others as, uh, as some stereotype, but they learn to see others as uh, as real people right <clears throat> so um asian american federation uh, who were here last wednesday are an example of a nonprofit that works to enhance the safety of asian americans in communities they live in and uh, provide support to victims of violence so those of us who have uh, you know experienced racial violence you know i have uh, understand the the scarring impacts of uh, of such uh, instances. So uh, you know, often uh, victims are exposed to subtle and not so subtle forms of uh, institutional racism. So I'm putting in some resources that you can use to educate yourself further and help in creating a safer neighborhood for yourself, your family, and uh, and your community. I will put them in the chat. And uh, yeah, I that's it from me.
Thank you very much. Um, now let's turn to um, Professor Sigmund Chen from the English Department, who will be speaking on the issue of model minority myth, white supremacy, and capitalism. And I believe he has some slides to share with us as well. Thanks, everyone, for putting this together. I really appreciate everyone's time and work and uh, folks who came. Can you all see my PowerPoint right now? Yes. Yes, you can. Okay. Thanks very much. Uh, yeah, model minority is an important factor in not only the problems we face, but in the possible strategies or solutions we will need to develop to get out of the situations that come up. Um, my presentation will be a little bit uh, different from what you may have read uh, elsewhere. Uh, I focus less on Asians as victims and more as complicit and participating in the problems that all minorities face. Um, so this is the first slide, and that's the title of uh, this. This is still from John Wiz, Bill uh, in the Head, one of my favorite movies. The spike in violence and hate against Asians is real. The racism behind it has always been here. And you don't have to be Asian to know that that racism has shown up in different forms in a cycle of scapegoating oppressed minorities, one after another. After 9-11... Muslims were called terrorists. Four years ago, Trump was equating Latino immigrant children with drug dealers. Every few years, it's somebody else's turn to be the next scapegoat. And no matter whose turn it is at the moment, here's one constant. Women and black people put in danger every time they leave the house. So I'm going to start this presentation off with a three-minute writing prompt. Uh, you could, should see his writing because I thought it worked really well when, uh, when Tang Man did it at the last town hall. But, you know, if you're more comfortable on the mic, you could jump on the mic, you know, um, raise your hand first so that the dean can recognize you or just put your response in the chat box. This is three minutes. I'd like us to think about this question. In the 1990s, anti-sweatshop activists protested low pay at a restaurant in Midtown Manhattan where management hired workers and assigned them tasks which coincided with their race and ethnicity. The busboys were Latino. The delivery people were African-American. The chefs were Chinese. The servers were Japanese. So for three minutes, I'd like you to think, and you could go in the chat box of this question. Can you think of any ways that the restaurant bosses might have profited from this specific arrangement? One more minute. I see some chat messages coming in. Thank you for people sharing your thoughts.
Thanks to everyone for sharing your thoughts. I see a wide range of ideas and insights. Um, I ask you to hold on to those thoughts and keep reflecting on them during this presentation. At the end of the presentation, we'll hear uh, personal stories from Professor uh, Vanessa Bing and one of our classmates, Andrew Chen, and then you'll be able to share your questions and thoughts about this presentation and others at a Q&A that's moderated by uh, Professor Toyama. But thank you so much for sharing. Okay, so I'm going to continue with my presentation. The next slide. Okay. We do need violence against Asians to end, but we don't need it to end by it becoming somebody else's turn. To break the cycle, we need to stop a minute and consider why this is all happening. Suppose that the ruling class of this country holds on to its power and wealth through capitalism and white supremacy. Suppose it has two crucial goals to survive, to terrorize people of all races and to keep wages low. Goal number one, how do people in power terrorize us? Well, one way is by making an example of somebody. The Chinese have a saying for this. My tone is terrible, so everyone cover your ears if you speak Chinese. Sha Ji Ching Ho. I think I, I learned that from Google Translate. Kill the chicken, scare the monkey. Most of the time, most of us are the monkey, being scared, working harder, not daring to complain or look disloyal. And sooner or later, it's our turn to be the chicken. Goal number two, how do the people in power keep wages low? Well, one way is by flattering one model group. I'm gonna I'm not sure if you can see my view here, so I'm gonna try to adjust things. Okay. Uh, by singing that group's praises and using it to shame others. Look how hard working they are and how successful. If even they can succeed, then any failure must be your own fault pretty much guaranteeing that everybody else is going to end up resenting and eventually hating that model group. You know human nature. If the oppression and suffering are bad enough, then chances are it won't be long before this model group will have very few friends and allies left. Maybe some in the model group will think that the flattery of the ruling class is all they need, but they may learn that they will never be in the ruling class. What they will be is cut off, defenseless, surrounded, and confused. And then one day, boom, Time to kill another chicken. Malcolm X told us a cautionary tale of the gentle, doting house slave. He said, quote, he wore his master's secondhand clothes, he lived in his master's house, and it hurt him more for his master to be sick than for him to be sick himself. We see an example of this personality in the character of Stephen from Quentin Tarantino's Django Unchained. But even after slavery, the house slave lived on. At the end of the Civil War, when four million human beings were liberated from American slavery, the ruling class lost quite a lot of money. Yesterday at Hugo's LaGuardia Web Radio Show, I said that what happened next took only about 10 years. I was wrong. It was only three years after the end of the Civil War when more than 50% of workers at the Central Pacific Railroad Company were Chinese. The newspapers sang their praises, calling them, quote-unquote, tireless and unremitting, using this new so-called positive stereotype of Chinese people to undercut Irish workers and ultimately drive wages down for everyone. One anti-sweatshop leader in Chinatown has called this stereotype the happy slave. The dishonest idea, which benefits the ruling class by pitting minority groups against one another, that Asians love to work hard without complaining. This technique used by the ruling class can be called divide and conquer. And some of you alluded to that in your comments about that restaurant example. After World War I, Hitler got a lot of Germans to hate Jews and swept to power. During COVID-19, Trump got a lot of Americans to hate Asians. Fortunately, it didn't get him through the election, but we're still dealing with the effects of his rhetoric now. 
1989, three years before L.A. rioters started torching Korean grocery stores, the character in Spike Lee's prophetic Do the Right Thing speaks aloud the binary, the either-or, the absolute thinking, the us-versus-them logic of the ruling class. Either dem Koreans are geniuses, or we blacks are dumb. Of course, the blacks are dumb line is a myth, but the Koreans are geniuses line is also a myth. These two equally dangerous myths are the only possibilities you are encouraged to believe because if you don't choose one of them, then you might end up blaming the system or the people who are in charge of it. Forty years ago, a Chinese-American named Vincent Chin was beaten to death in Michigan. His killer, his killers were not random psychopaths, nor had they ever met him before. So what explains their choice? I don't know, but one factor that might be relevant They were auto workers who had been told the Japanese were coming to steal all the jobs. Many black leaders on the left have refused to fall for this divide and conquer tactic. Malcolm X making friends with Yuri Kochiyama, Muhammad Ali, refusing to fight in Vietnam, going to jail for his refusal. Sonny Carson talking to a North Korean soldier and finding common ground. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and the RZA speaking out on social media for Asians, especially last year during the pandemic. Stories of solidarity, oppressed people standing up for one another can be like a vaccine, helping to prevent people of color from catching that divide and conquer sickness. But it's not just people of color and white workers who sometimes fall for the lies about Asians. Sometimes Asians fall for it ourselves. I'm not just talking about the weird phenomenon of so many Chinese, Japanese, Taiwanese, and Filipinos who drank the pro-Trump Kool-Aid last year. There's also Andrew Yang, who marked his mayoral campaign by scapegoating the teachers' unions for hurting public schools. But meanwhile had taken home much of his fortune as CEO of a private test prep company. At our last town hall on violence against Asians, Stacey Chen of the Wellness Center introduced the psychological term internalization. That's when somebody lies to you so much that you start to swallow it. And like they say, you are what you eat. Uh, Mary Baraka in one of his poems said, there's garbage on the street telling you you ain't shit, and you almost believe it. And Einstein, in a letter to W.E.B. Du Bois, put it like this. Under the suggestive influence of the majority, most of the victims of racism themselves succumb to the same prejudice and regard their kind as inferior beings. But we don't just internalize negative stereotypes. We also internalize positive ones. This choice is especially dangerous to solidarity with other groups which are being hurt by the negative ones. Such stereotypes may taste like candy to us, but they are just as poisonous in the long run. I think that... uh, Joyce alluded to this article. I hadn't even seen it until yesterday. We Asians all know some friend or family member who takes part in the model minority myth. They might deny there's any such thing as white supremacy, but wave their flags for capitalism, the American dream. They might make excuses for modern-day IQ tests like the Stuyvesant test. As people of color, they benefited from affirmative action historically, but when it looks like affirmative action doesn't benefit them anymore, they might say they never needed it anyway and even say that affirmative action is quote-unquote reverse racism. Look at uh, Sterry Kim, a congressional candidate in Texas, who said, quote, I don't want Chinese immigrants here at all. They steal our intellectual property, they give us coronavirus, they don't hold themselves accountable, and I can say that because I'm Korean. I'm not saying that fighting white supremacy and capitalism is going to magically erase all racism, including racism by minorities against one another. Like any other minority group, Asians deserve and need our space to perform the work of mourning and grieving and speaking out for the victims who look like us, who speak our own language, who could be our own parents, 
So yes, we do need to say their names, not just Breonna Taylor and Sandra Bland, but also Hyunjung Grant, Michelle Jotan. But mourning is not enough. We also need solidarity. Otherwise, the best we can hope for is that some other minority group will take its turn next, which means cycle of racism, internalization of stereotypes, and divide and conquer tactics will continue. We need to remember not just the disgraceful parts of our shared history, but the hopeful lessons of solidarity, too. Here's one story that I find hopeful, and I hope you like it. In the 1990s, the Republican Party was trying to scapegoat immigrants in California. They wrote a bill called Proposition 187, which would have required hospitals and schools and police to deny human rights to immigrant children. At first, polls showed a majority of Asians supporting 187, and many black and brown voters did too, but activists patiently organized people of color in every community, black, brown, Asian, indigenous, working-class whites too. Back in the 80s, nobody called these activists intersectional, but that's basically what they were. They got people to sign petitions and send letters. In October 1984, 70,000 people filled the streets of L.A. to protest against it. The majority of Asian voters across the state flipped into opposing 187. And the next election year, the Democratic Party turned California from purple to blue. So as we listen to our two presentations, one from Professor Vanessa Bing and the next by student Andrew Chen, they're going to share their personal experiences with the Asian model minority myth and interactions with their own friends and family. And I hope that we can use this as an occasion to reflect and notice our own thoughts, feelings, and questions for the discussion period with Professor Kyoko Toyama that will come next. Thank you. Uh, Vanessa, do you want to start? Yeah, thank you, Sigmund, uh, for inviting me into this space and um, for allowing me to share my story. Um, those of you who were at the last town hall, you heard this story. And uh, when Sigmund invited me, you know, again, to sort of tell it again, I, you know, I really, I struggled with it because it it's continues to bring up um, strong feelings in me. So I, I hope you'll bear with so, you know, and I was also hesitant the first time I shared the story to bring it into the space because I felt like it's really important to hear people's story and not try to co-opt their story and, and hijack it and then, you know, make it your own story or try to, uh, you know, do the thing of, oh, I know what you're talking about. I've gone through it. But I think this is one of those instances where, you know, worlds collide. So. Um, you know, this, so what's my story? So I shared the last time that I have been friends for many years, over 30 years, uh, with an Asian American woman who I love dearly. And, you know, we've been besties in all sense of the word. And our relationship, like every relationship has gone through, you know, challenges and obstacles, but, you know, we love each other dearly. We met in high school. Um, you know, that one of those specialized high schools where, you know, right now I think it's about 75% Asians. Um, and I guess at the time I was there was probably about 5% black people. But that being said, we have a longstanding relationship. And over the years, you know, the, one of the challenges in our interactions is I'm a black woman um, and, you know, I'm raising a black male child. And there have been many times I would tell my friend, you know, certain stories that infuriated me, that pained me. And she listened and listened lovingly, but I, there was always, I felt like a little bit of a disconnect. 
And so what do I mean by that? I mean, you know, again, our relationship spans decades. So there were times when we were significantly younger, the, the days before there were Ubers, right? And we would go out um, and I hail cabs. And I always had to step back, you know, I would tell her, you need to wave the cab because the cab is not going to stop for me. Okay. And I'm a woman, right? Worse for black men. But, you know, she always thought I, I was crazy. That's ridiculous. But that was the reality. And, you know, she never really quite connected with that. But more recently, with the rise in anti-Asian violence, um, all of a sudden, you know, our worlds, you know, really did coalesce and came together. Because as I've been watching and listening and hearing the different stories, um, you know, I felt obviously great passion, compassion um, for the Asian American community. I would check in, uh, you know, my friend, find out how she's doing. Because with all of this rise in violence, you know, she, of course, was concerned about her family, her mother, her her sons. And there was a, one day we were speaking, and I uh, said to her, you know, and not in a snarky way, but in a way of like, huh, kind of, you know what it's been like for for me, for you know, what I've been struggling with. And and even as I said that, I felt a little guilt for, like, saying something like that at a time when someone is really struggling. But I really wanted her to understand the shared experience and the, and the shared struggle. Um, and that, yeah, I, you know, I get her fear now. Um, and I hope that this moment allowed her to really think about the challenges that I've had over the years and the fears that I've had of my son. And is he going to be safe coming home? And, um, you know, the, and the, you know, the recent passage of the COVID-19 hate crimes bill, also known as the um, Asian American, right? Hate crimes bill. That was something to truly celebrate, but to be sure there are, many members of the African-American community that feel like, whoa, well, where's our hate crime bill been? But there's been so much atrocity and violence enacted against Black people for 400 plus years. So this is, you know, what this really reminds me of is, um, you know, the importance of us coming together as people, as a community, you know, because, you know, prior to, you know, all this rise in anti-Asian um, violence, my friend, I mean, really felt um, untouchable in some ways. You know, she and her family, they represented, right, that model minority. Successful business owners went to the right schools um, and accepted, right, really, you know, embraced by, you know, white supremacist culture. Um, but, you know, this is, you know, again, this whole experience has brought our worlds together around this sort of shared experience of bias, discrimination and hate. And it just, you know, again, all of this just reminds me of what, you know, Dr. King said many years ago. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And we can't, you know, we can't think of ourselves as separate. People of color cannot think of ourselves as separate. Um, this only hurts all of us. What we need to do is fight and push back against, you know, uh, a culture um, uh, that's built on the foundation of which is built on white supremacy um, 
and discriminating against um, and otherizing people who are different. So, um, you know, my hope is that these meetings, these discussions that we have that center on race, racial privilege, white supremacy, can really move us all to a place where we really embrace the idea of ending, you know, bias and discrimination against every group that's been otherized. Um, Because, again, we should celebrate the anti-Asian bill, but we need to have bills for every group. And, you know, they just need, you know, we need to just stop this. And the only way, and the only way we can do this is coming together. So anyway, that's my story. And thank you for providing space for me to share that. And um, yeah, we'll talk. Thank you so much, Vanessa. It's a painful story, but it seems like a conversation like that even if it's painful, it shows you how important it is for all of us to be having it. You know, uh, We're going to hear a presentation also from our classmate, Andrew Chen. Andrew, are you with us? Yes, that's me, Andrew Chen. Uh, hi, I'm a laborious student. Um, I am uh, uh, going to health sciences program at LaGuardia. And yeah, this is going to be complicated because I think a lot of the systemic racism is from dishonesty and in order to move forward I have to be honest about myself and where I come from because I don't have an accent being a third generation uh, Chinese American but I, there's to recognize that my family's history of being um, uh, an ethnic minority in Chinese terms, being Hakka, which is a minor dialect in Mandarin and Cantonese. My parents are from Taiwan. Um, um, so that means my ancestors are escaped the cultural revolution in China and um, being a third generation, I had to remember that my grandparents and parents had to live through discrimination and through wars. Um, They owned a restaurant. Um, Grandparents are both engineers. My dad's doctor and um, I should be that model minority. I should be because living in central Illinois, in a suburb, um, we owned a pretty good house. My dad has a good paying job and I should be happy. But The living with the minority, model minority myth is easy for an Asian parents to explain to their kids that, hey, you're just different and you're special, that you are, you look different, you might get bullied, there might get, you know, some unequal treatment, but no, like you're better so like uh, there's a Chinese there's a Chinese saying that's uh, called uh, Mei Banfa 
which is loosely translated to being can't be helped. And I hate, I hate that phrase because growing up, now I'm 30 years old. I'm, I have to reconcile like being a person that there's so many cracks into that model minority myth, like the bullying, my, my disinterest in um, associating my like ego with martial arts because I learned karate as a young kid, learning how to play instruments, um, getting B's in class. Like how how can you like live with yourself trying to? compare yourself to a model minority with just these and uh, yeah just growing up being that awkward kid who's with mostly I lived in a German neighborhood so it's mostly white people around like how, how can you compare yourself if you don't go to like your like friends communities or churches um there's like uh, but uh, the way i found myself through and break through that myth just to make myself feel better is uh, traveling going to chinatowns seeing what i like my family's culture through the food um finding entertainment and seeing heroes doing selfless things or seeing uh like anthony bourdain who travels the world and like liking the things i like um eating what uh dim sum and something like that understanding the history and I can relate to other Asians who are also live in the suburbs. They're like essentially islands separated by roads. So it's hard to form a Asian community in central Illinois. And there's this one Korean boy who is very sim- similar to me. He has, a, but the difference is he had very stern parents very he had older siblings who were very well educated they went to college and their parents are very stern i remember my mom used to play tennis with his mom and she was very intense super serious about playing like like always want to win in tennis so Uh, Sorry, half a more minute, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just that he couldn't live up to his parents' expectations, and he took his father's revolver and killed himself. And that's where all that, all that myth of there's no problems just shattered and that's where 
I will. I don't believe in it anymore. I like everyone's special and everyone's flawed in their own way. If you can look for it, but I, I know I curse myself not be able to see it beforehand <laughs> because I could be better, but not just in grades, but as a person. I could reach out. I could have said something, and I hope uh, this this doesn't happen again. I don't know. I mean, you couldn't do it yourself. You're not a superhero. You were there for your friend, and we need to work together on this together. Right? We're all stronger when we're together. But by by sharing your story and being brave enough to do that, you made us stronger too. Thank mm-hmm. you so much, Andrew. Um, I think Kyoko was going to take some time to try to draw out folks' thoughts and questions. Um, but thank you so much to Andrew and Vanessa for joining this meeting. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. We heard you. And thanks for being very vulnerable to share your story. And today's presentation is not just a presentation. It's these are stories. So I really appreciate, you know, starting with James, Joyce, Sumanth, and Sigmund, Vanessa, and Andrew. Um, there's a lot to take in today. You heard so many different facts, history, and stories. And I would like to spend a few minutes before we close to really think about what you took in. So I'm going to put some of the questions. We don't have to get into all of that, but... Um, Maybe I will have a, I have some time to have a couple of you share verbally, but I would like to encourage all of you to think about some of the questions. Let me just tell you what the questions are. <clears throat> what is one thing you take away from today's presentation? So you can say, I learned that. Could be history, could be somebody's stories. And the second one is, were there any instances you felt you can relate to in a presentation or what the presentation presenter said? If so, if you know, can you share the experience? And uh, also, what will you be sharing with your friend and family based on today's presentation tonight or tomorrow? So you can say, for example, I'll tell my little brother that working together with a group different from yours will be the most important and effective way to condemn and combat racism, like Martin Luther King and Gandhi and others did. And also it's important, you know, what you're doing today and you'll be doing tonight and tomorrow, passing the knowledge to another person, is one form of social justice work and activism. So what other things do you think you can do to educate other people to ultimately eliminate stereotypes and assumptions about others. So you can go ahead and start putting in a chat box because it'll be very powerful if you can share that with this community we have. But I will invite you, if any of you would like to share or say, oh, this is what I learned today. You can just unmute yourself or just raise your hand like this. I cannot get to see everybody, but 
Okay. The simple question like I learned. We have uh, Peter Baez who has raised his hand. Okay, thank you. I cannot see it. James, go ahead. Okay. Um, we can share our experiences that we've learned Asian, of Asians Americans. Or well, anything, because... And we had, yeah, we had more than and, just Asian Americans. And, and, yeah, I know. Um, and a story that we learned. Or anything you heard, which I didn't know, but I, I think I learned something as, as a new material. I'm going to talk about this with my classmate. That could be one thing you can do. Just in case, the faculty member just shared the prompt questions in the chat again, if you need okay. to review the questions. Okay. Do you have anything, Peter, or you want to think about it? Yeah, I'll think about it. Okay, no okay, problem. Thank Come you, back. thank you. Uh, we have yeah. John Charles Stanley. Hey. Hi. Oh, hold on, that's... Oh, my God, I hate my computer. Anyway... <laughs> Anyway, well, my face. Well, there you go. <laughs> but any, but but anywho, what I actually, what 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 I learn from what what is basically, I I kind of get uh, what what I learned is that not all people not, and you know, as I'm I'm just gonna be frank, we're not perfect. Mm-hmm. Not none of us are perfect, and uh, ensure there's uh, excuse my language, but uh, but but some, all people, but some not all, but not all, but all people are shitty. <laughs> like literally, they are literal, like they're little literal assholes. Like like right, like my neighbor, like there are neighbors that hate you. They will there there will be you know, not not all, there all there there's going to be those people they'll always say, I hate. I don't the, not always assume that you're going to be perfect each and every single time when you're not. I had a lot of pe- I had a lot of people like that in my high school, and they, they always thought, "Oh, I'm going I'm going to succeed." When I'm literally just this bo- one boy that just wants to not to skip his homework and just want and just want yada yada and be and yeah and yeah and I and so yeah. That's number one. Not all not all people are going to be perfect, and they're just and they're going to hate you for it. But they're they're going to hate you for it. And sec and second and second. Uh, let, let we let's not judge people. Let's not judge people based on what we see. I mean, I mean that's what I that's what I you I, I that's what I used to do. Uh, like uh like uh like um like Andrews. Like Andrew's in Andrew's story about the Asian boy, I used to li- I used to basically live in a uh, my, my me and my me and my family basically we we always had high expectations on what life is supposed to be like and I did and uh, yeah and but it, w- it wasn't our expectations it was basically our stepfather's expectations and he basically pushed it onto us. Luckily, luckily, we, luckily, broke. We broke off from him before it got got any worse. But let's just say they had high expectations that we didn't meet any of them, and we and we almost, you know. But um, but but yeah, but yeah, but 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 yeah. What? Yeah. John, thank you, thank you. I think even though you started out with your neighbors, but you did say what you're gonna do. That's fantastic. 
you know, not everybody's perfect. You're right about that. But there, there always something we all can do individually. And if we all do that collectively, I think something better is going to happen. So anybody else would like to share, well, this is what I'm going to do today or tonight. We have William Yu. Okay, William, go ahead. Hi. Um, sorry, I'm a little bit late. I was in um, on the meets and greet on the, on the other community. Um, I just want to say a couple of words. In all honesty, uh, in my life, I have lost my brother-in-law. Uh, I won't mention what what other race. Somebody ran him over, oh. and it was the same race of the person who caught a licensed driver who have a toothache drove somebody else's van and that time I was working as a garage manager um, in Port Bus Terminal. I literally dropped everything, went to Queens to the hospital he's already dead. Economics and all this. And also um, I have a family member that's been raped by another race. Okay? And I don't hate. Actually during this year I have five, six times, actually, even around some of my neighbor. People tell me to go back to my country. Meanwhile, I immigrated to this country, which I call my home, good old America, okay? And the, the, the type of discrimination is getting out of hand. I think all life matter. I don't think just black life matter, Asian life matter, or white life matter. I think all life matter. I think hatred has to stop. I think it's this horrible disease. We're dealing with a lot of frustration at home. People are losing it. I think we got to be a bigger human being. Pray for that person if you're religious, whatever your religions are, or forgive that person. I mean, you know, in all honesty, I don't think we're worse or better. We're all human beings. We all need love. We all need communication. We all need one another support. That's why I look out for your neighbors. Look out for your friends. The end of the day, this is all I got to say. Thank because, you. Because, you know, I'm yeah. being very brutally honest today. Yeah, thank you for being honest and appreciate your comments about that. Anybody else? James, do you, do you have anybody else who's handed? No, no. Oh, uh, uh, Pratung? Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I'm the nurse in LaGuardia Community College, and yeah, I'm a minority too, but I think each one of us that live here in America as a one nation is a miniature of the little world. So how we can live together in peace, we cannot change other person, only change ourselves. Do I love another person who is different from me? No. As a nurse in the in the, in the, in B forty, I see many people, especially uh, Latinos and uh, Black. So when I was in Thailand, it only one one race, you no, know, very few other people. But come to America, our mind has to be bigger than just only one nation or one color. So to that now, if we look at each other as a one family, as my family, beyond the differences externally, and how can I love that person as my family? And this will solve the problem. Because if we look at each other externally different, we're going to have more problems. 
And I really feel like we cannot change other people. We have to check ourselves every day. Do I discriminate this person? Do I love them? Can I love them? And each day, if we make a positive thinking, gratitude, that will help us not get rid of the negativity that is in the air, in everywhere. And I think it has to start with us. Each one of us here, as a small community here in LaGuardia, if we can change our look to other people as my family, how can I love this person? Learn how to love. And I think we will solve the problem in America. That's what I have a feeling like that. Thank you so much. That was really important. Thinking, you know, reflecting on what you are doing before we think about how the others should be doing. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Any of your work. Um, so we're going to end with one last comment from a student. Sawa, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Hey, everyone. My name is Salwa. Um, I just wanted to share something. It's not really a question, but I guess um, the question was based on today's presentation, what we would be doing with this information, right? So for me personally, I'm just going to be sharing everything that I heard today with my family while I sit down and break my fast because I feel like we're all in this together on a deep and personal level like that we can't even fathom. And I think sometimes we look at each other as like separate entities almost, but we're not. Like we're more, we're connected more than we know. So when one of us hurts, the rest of us do too. And I think what gathers us and connects us all is having the media dismiss discrimination and bias. That's deeply upsetting. That's traumatizing. So having this awareness, acknowledging that hate is real, acknowledging that the trauma that comes from being hated on is real and it's painful and it hurts us all and that our families that's the first people we see every single day of our lives. So I think that, you know, just sharing, sharing this as much as you can with those closest to you is the first step in spreading this awareness. So I, I hope that, you know, we all just go home and just share this with our families because that's where it starts. Yes. Thank you. So that was really well said. Yeah. And um, Kyoko, can I just um, add one, one other thought? Yeah. Yeah, and I really appreciated what um, Salwa just said. Um, and I, I guess what I want to add is, you know, I think this really speaks to the importance of dialogue and sharing with one another. Um, but I want to, like, kind of underscore, you know, we hear a lot of times, yes, all lives matter, and all lives do matter. Um, I think the challenge is in where we live of, uh, different groups are treated differently. And I think it's important as, um, you know, Sala just said, I mean, we can't dismiss, you know, when we hear the, the words and the rhetoric of hate and understand that um, even well-meaning people who take on the idea that um, I don't see color, right? I just see human beings. That is the ideal. But, you know, we, you know, we are different. Um, you know, there is color. And for different groups of color who have been treated uh, poorly um, and, 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 you know, if you will, sort of put on the lower rung, you know, it is important to see that distinction and see that difference. 
And it's having dialogue about those things and being able to talk about those issues and to work collectively and collaboratively to fight against, you know, uh, the, the bigger issue of systemic racism so that we're not in this divide and conquer. You're the better uh, minoritized group. We're the less favored minoritized group because that's what creates all of the schisms and the, the misunderstandings. Because I'm sure a lot of very poor um, Asian Americans living in the different Chinatowns and working in the different kinds of sweatshops and those kinds of uh, environments making meager ways, wages, they're not feeling like the model minority and they don't want that for them. Um, and so it's important to understand the, the many different levels and vicissitudes of these different experiences. So dialogue is important. And that's one one way. But, yeah, com- combating the bigger issue of systemic racism, you know, that's that's the long struggle. Yeah. Thank you so much. I think all of you brought the wonderful ideas and reflection. And I could also um, link to... One of the, um, I guess, NPO that's been giving us training on bystander training. So I really highly recommend that because um, next step might be, so what can we do if you witness something very overtly or covertly? You don't have to be an agent to really help out that Asian person who is victimized or any other people, right? So I think we really have to think about how we can be a humane, how can we be really um, helpful to anybody in a society as a citizen? So I really, I really appreciate this conversation. We're going to continue. James, maybe we'll continue sometime. But thank you so much. So I'm going to um, return this to James or Tomonori. Yes, uh, Tomonori, before we close yeah. out, Tomonori has a uh, resource he wants to share with everyone. Yeah, we already a few minutes over the schedule. So, um, I'm going to be very quick. Uh, so our dialogue continues. Uh, I just shared the link uh, to our Facebook page. Uh, this is where we make an announcement and we also posted the recordings from previous meetings. Uh, we had the web radio interview yesterday. Uh, we just posted the video there as well. So if you're interested, please go to our Facebook page and, um, you know, uh, we... Uh, look for updates yeah. and James. All right. Thank you, Tominori. Uh, this time, I just want to say thank you to uh, the committee members that helped to put together uh, the past two town halls. Uh, thank you to the uh, speakers, Saman, Sigmund, Andrew, Vanessa, um, and all the students and faculty who were able to share their stories. Um, I think like everyone is saying, it's important for us to share our stories in order for us to uh, learn from each other, to grow with each other, and to help each other out because it's not just one person dealing with it. We're all dealing with it. It's in some capacity. So it's important for us to really come together as a community and be supportive with each other. Um, as you can see, this is a conversation I don't think that can just end on uh, today. Um, I have a feeling this committee will be coming back together and putting more town halls uh, to talk about this topic uh, specifically for our uh, Asian uh, community. So once again, thank you. Thank you, Joyce, for co-hosting two of the town halls with us. Uh, Thank you to the committee once again. Everybody enjoy your afternoon. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.